Welcome to episode 268 of Live Happy Now. This is Paula Phelps, and as we begin a new month, all of us are dealing with a lot of different emotions. One of the things that many people are dealing with is a sense of loss. All of us have lost something this year, and that's affecting us whether we realize it or not. This week, we're talking to Erin Wiley, a clinical psychotherapist and executive director of the Willow Center, a counseling practice in Toledo, Ohio. She's here to talk about the many ways our losses could be affecting us and our loved ones, then gives us tips on processing grief and coping with the changes brought by the pandemic. Erin, welcome to Live Happy Now. Thank you so much for having me, Paula. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on the show and talking to us today. You've got a great topic that we don't normally associate with happiness, but it's really important for us to talk about, and that is grief. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times, you know, we associate grief with major losses through things like death or divorce, but it comes from other losses too, and that's really what I want to talk to you about. I think, like you said, we classically think of things like losing a marriage or a pregnancy as being obviously a milestone grief marker in life that's really difficult to get through. But with COVID-19, there's been so many losses and losses upon losses. And I think they're just not traditional because they've never happened before. And so it's easy to dismiss them, especially in the face of a global pandemic where we're trying to remind ourselves these losses may be pale in comparison to the loss of someone's actual life, but they are still nonetheless a loss that is painful and needs to be processed. Do you see people doing that, minimizing it and saying, yes, this was a loss, but it's not as bad as XYZ? All the time. And I mean, even more than right now, people will say to me, we talk about, you know, childhood a lot in therapy and people will say, well, I mean, I had food, I had clothing, I had a beautiful home just because my parents were vicious to me when they were drunk. You know, I mean, I had everything and I'm thinking, well, no, no, that's, <laughs> don't minimize your loss. Like that's, that's a traumatic childhood, no matter how pretty it looked. Yeah, that's, that's an important point to make because to others, we might be doing really well. And we do tend to compare ourselves to others. Like for myself, I'm like, well, I've got it pretty good because at least I get to, you know, live in an apartment that I like and I can do my work. I get to go to work every day and some mm -hmm. people can't. Right. Absolutely. Well, and I have a senior and a junior this past year. And so we did the whole having no graduation, missing prom, no lead in the musical. Like we lost a lot of things. And I know I saw a lot on social media particularly maybe older people who have been through more in life saying, well, guess what? You're not getting shipped off to Vietnam. Yeah. So the fact that you don't get to walk across the in a cap and gown is no big deal. But it was to an 18-year-old a huge deal when that's what they've spent their life looking forward to. And there's no chance to make that up. It's, it's different or it's changed or it's gone. And that is significant. And that needs to be noted for people. What happens to us when we minimize it, when we don't address it as grief? Well, anytime we invalidate emotion, it's bad for us. It's just not healthy. When you're experiencing an emotion, and you know, the thing is, Paula, from the time we're little kids, I think parents, because they don't want to have upset children, because upset children make them uncomfortable and make them feel like bad parents, we want our kids to be happy and love life. And so when a kid gets hurt and pinches their finger, or when they fall down, or when they're naughty, and if someone, you know, if, if you yell at your kid and they get upset, 
parents want to minimize emotion from the beginning and say, cut it out. Or the classic, what is it? I'll give you something to cry about if you don't stop crying. Right? <laughs> that, was, that was my favorite one growing up. <laughs> but parents do that. We minimize that. I have a, a morning group that I run and we were just talking about that today about from the get go, parents say, cut it out. You're not upset. Or that, that's, you shouldn't even be upset about that. And that's very confusing for children who feel upset or sad or angry to be told by their caregiver, the person who they look to for guidance, that you are not experiencing the emotion you are, or it's not valid. And so when we invalidate our own experience, comparing it to others, I think we just continue that invalidation of ourselves and our emotions. And when you're out of touch with your emotions, you're just not a healthy person. And do you see that people right now are dealing with grief, but they don't necessarily recognize that it's grief? For sure. Yes, 100%. And I mean, you know, as a therapist, I always tell my patients, anytime I talk to you and it sounds like advice, I am always keyed into hearing my own advice because I know it's also partly for me. So levels that I think people don't understand or can't begin to understand, and I include myself in this, we are grieving globally. We are grieving nationally. We're grieving in our homes about just layers and layers and layers of loss. And so you don't think about, or you do, but you discount them. Simple things like, I just can't pick up and go to the store. I have to think about if I have a mask and make sure I have hand sanitizer or decide, is it worth going? Or could I send someone else? Or should I try to put a bunch of trips into one so I don't go repeatedly? And so even that simple, small shift of what your everyday looks like, your brain knows every day, something's different, something's terrifying, you're losing freedom, you're losing the ability to see family, you lost graduation, you lost your niece's baby shower, and there's just thing after thing after thing that we've lost. I think people now are saying, Erin, we want to come to you for couples counseling. Our relationship is, we've struggled and we're just distressed. But I'm looking at like, hey guys, what are all of these losses that are compounding what might already have been a relationship that was struggling? And Yes, like you said, people are like, they're like, well, everyone's going through it. So therefore, it's not a big deal. No, it is a big deal. And we do need to recognize that. You know, I was talking to someone at my gym yesterday and, and she was saying, you know, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know if it's hormonal, but I feel like crying. And it's like, I think I know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, you're an investigative journalist, right? <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, there's something below the surface there. No, that's a great point. And it's just so subtle, but even children, if you find that you've got kids or God love you, teenagers like I do, and they seem a little more edgy or a little more distant or a little more irritable and agitated like so many other people. Yeah, there's just so many deeper reasons that we just don't give enough credence to that are making everyone feel off kilter and unhappy. So I do think it's really important to note them and even sometimes list them. When I have clients who suffered a really traumatic loss, let's say of a child or a partner, I take them through an exercise where we talk about what did you lose? Because the obvious is my wife, my husband, my son, my daughter, but you lost so much more than just the person. You lost being at that child's wedding. You lost being a grandparent. You lost graduation. You lost any hope that you could see them graduate from college or have an amazing career. You lose a piece of yourself in the world. I mean, you lose so much more than the one thing that you can see, right? And so I do think it's important to talk through these losses and give them the time and attention they deserve in processing them. 
Now, right now we have some time to spend with family. So how can families do this together? Because different members of the family are dealing with it at a different level. What you're going through as a parent is different as you noted than what your teenagers go through. And, you know, I know in our family, we have a niece who loves animals and she had, she's 15 and she had gotten accepted to internships at both the Cincinnati Zoo and the aquarium. And this was like her dream summer. And now that's all canceled. Yeah. So how do you talk about this on different levels? So everybody gets to express how they feel and can process how they feel. For sure. And oh, your poor niece. Gosh, that's so hard. That's so hard. But I mean, that's really where I start is acknowledging the loss. And so again, I always try to be super self-aware and I also have nieces about that age. And so for example, sometimes they say or do something and I find myself being like Auntie Erin where I say, give me a break. That's not that big of a deal, you guys. Like I want to discount stuff because I'm older and they're being (laughs) ridiculous because it's so stupid that they only made second alternate on soccer instead of first. Like in my mind, it's, but that's invalidating people, right? But we do that because we're humans and we're not perfect. So I think just tuning in your radar to people and listening so that when someone's says, you know, maybe it's stupid, but I just miss going to whatever, the mall and going shopping. It's so easy to rain on other people's parades and it makes us feel, you know, good about ourselves and self-righteous because we're better and they're stupid, which is super unkind, right? (laughs) But that's what people do. You say, give me, are you kidding? Shopping at a mall? Have you watched the news? People are dying. So just tuning in, like softening your heart and preparing ahead of time to know that when you are with family, at least in my experience, people are going to annoy you and people are going to push your buttons. And that is just what family does. And so being open to hearing people's experiences. And if they're not openly sharing, then encouraging people to share and saying, hey, so What's, what is this like for you right now? I mean, you know, you're 15 or I know you had these internships. How do you feel? I can only imagine how hard this would be. What is it like for you? Letting people share their experience, validating that it's legitimate. Maybe even at least this is, I don't know, both sides of my family are Irish. I think we have a natural bent for fighting. <laughs> so awesome. like, I can just see, we, you know, like people gang up on each other, especially if you have a loud family, but being the person who goes, hey, hey, no, listen, she's allowed to think that you guys, she's allowed to be sad she can't shop. I'm going to validate that for you. I'm sad I can't shop either. Let her be sad, guys. She's allowed to be sad. And you being someone who makes way and makes space for people to have and express and be validated when it comes to emotions and losses. I think that can be really significant too. And does it help to sit down and hear how it's affecting someone else? Because are we then more likely to discover some emotions we're having that we're not acknowledging? Yeah, absolutely. That could be. Being and listening ear for people, I think it can help us identify, gosh, I didn't realize I might have felt the same way. Or you can feel differently and that's okay too. But for sure, just sharing emotions and taking the time to listen to other people, share them and validate them. I mean, that's like probably the most basic but beautiful thing about human connection and communication is that we can share how we feel and make space for each other to share how they feel. And even if we feel differently, we can still be open enough to learn about each other. And that's how we grow in closer connection. So I think for sure, just being able to make a space and validate people and hear what they're saying, letting them talk about the emotions, asking them more about it is helpful for them, but for sure helpful for us too. I mean, we get a lot of great brain chemistry going when we are helping other people, particularly if you are in a conversation where your goal is to let someone talk because you know they're struggling, your brain will reward you for that. What about social media? 
because sometimes we might want to go to social media because we're feeling lost and we want to f- have that shared experience. And and recently, I would say I, I see social media taking a pretty dark turn because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's gotten so combative and so judgmental and and angry. Mm-hmm. So what are some tips for if you're using social media for that connection and because you want to release some emotion, how do we navigate that part of it? Boy, Paula, that is such a great question. And we will um, make I, millions when we figure it out, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I'm going to tell you a great story from last night. Yesterday, I had a big day at work with just a lot of highs and lows. One of my therapists is moving and just told me, and we're really sad and bummed out to hear it. She's like a really great clinician, and it was really disappointing to hear that she'd be leaving. And then I worked with someone because we're building a second location of my practice, which is super exciting. And then I found out that one of my clients who has been sick and is young passed away earlier than we would have thought. And I was taken aback and sad and upset for this person and their whole family. And then I was touring real estate later in the day because we're looking at buying another location for our practice. So it was like up and down and up and down. And by the end of the day, everyone jokingly says, oh, you need to go have a drink. I'm not a huge (laughs) drinker, mostly because I just like prefer sweets like Pepsi. But (laughs) if I was a drinker, I might have been drinking last night. But instead, because I'm a therapist and I'm always trying to work on being healthier and have greater self-awareness, instead of taking the opportunity to kind of, you know, low-grade drug myself with something that would make me feel better, I just sat there and felt it. And let me tell you what, it sucked. I hated it. It was awful. I didn't like it one bit. And in some ways today, I'm still in the same space because, you know, when you lose a person, you don't grieve that in hours or a day. That takes a long time to acclimate your brain to that loss. And so I just sat there last night and I kept thinking, I'm so sad. I'm so sad about having lost this client and for them and their family. And I thought about going online and saying, boy, some days as a therapist are really hard or I lost someone today and that was my instinct, right? Is to go to people. But I knew that going to them wasn't going to fix it. And I knew that maybe even if they said like, oh, we're so sorry for your loss, that also wouldn't be enough. And it was just going to be a thing. Like I was just going to be sad. And so I have been in the last, I don't know, 24 hours, even maybe 12 hours, just sitting in a space where I keep thinking to myself, I'm really sad. I'm really sad. And I'm not doing anything to fix it or change it. I'm not purposely being like, well, I need to watch some comedy or I need to go eat something delicious. I'm just trying to be in the space and feel it, which is really not fun. And it's very countercultural because in America, we are trained that when you're in pain, you buy something, eat something, do something, watch something. And so that's a huge leap, I think. And a suggestion I would make to people is, when you're thinking about social media, I'd be asking, why are you doing it? Why do you want to go there? What do you want to get out of it? And then asking yourself, maybe for you saying, oh, my uncle passed away and I really, really loved him. And having people say, we're so sorry, we're so sorry, is meaningful to you. And it, it would still be meaningful to me. I just know at the end of the day, all those people can say that and it will not change the fact that I am still sad. Examining your motives for going on social media and trying to figure out what you want out of it. Conversely, Paula, what I find is some people who are upset about something go to social media to complain and crab about it because they're angry and they think there's been an injustice or life's unfair against them or they don't like something that's happened in the world. And so they go out there 
dukes up ready to fight and punch it out because they're mad. And all they're doing is looking for a fight in order to let off steam, which is a coping skill, to feel better. I throw out some angry energy. People respond. Either they agree with me and I'm like, yeah, you're on my team. I feel better about myself. <laughs> or you're on the other team. So you're dumb and I hate you. And I'm going to tell you all the reasons you're an idiot. And then and I'm going to unfriend you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to block you. Right. Unfriend you and pull you out of my feed. But in the end, again, I'd say, and I do this to myself all the time, why am I posting this? Or why do I want to post this? What is the motivation? What do I hope it will do? Am I 100% neutral and I think this is a really good article people should read? Or is this to, be, to, to stick it to somebody? So being self-aware enough to know how and why we're using social media or other coping skills, I think is a way to focus on being happier and healthier. I love that. And as you said, you're sitting with your grief and it is very uncomfortable so if someone's like, okay, I'm going to try that. I'm going to trust Aaron. I'm going to give that a shot. How do you do that? What do you do with yourself? We become such busy bees that yes. we don't know how to just sit still with it. So how do we do that? Yeah, great question. So this morning, I, as I you know, had space to get ready in the morning and was thinking about this client, I also go to crappy coping skills sometimes. So I was like, I am going to have Cheerios with peaches with so much sugar, it would hurt my teeth. Like that is like my thing. I love sugar. So I just sat there and ate the super sweet cereal, but I put on the TV because I just didn't want to think about it. And something dumb came on a bunch of talking heads about blah, blah, blah. And I was like, don't do it. Don't it's you're not. So I just shut it off. And I just sat there and ate quietly. My husband came by like, you okay? I said, I'm sad. And he's like, okay. And you know, if I would have said, I'm sad, can you talk about it? Or yeah, I need to talk. I'm really upset. But he knows enough. Like, you know, he's got a therapist as a wife. He knows like, okay, she's sad. <laughs> That's okay. She can be sad. And I just sat there and I thought about it. And I thought about what it's like to, you know, like I just, in my mind, I mentally processed it the same as I would with a therapist. I would just say, isn't it sad when someone dies young? And oh my gosh, can you imagine these people and their family and now all the losses they have? And as we all do as humans, what if that was me? Mm -hmm. Or what if that was someone in my family? What would that feel like? And then I think, how did that person change me? And what did I get from working with that person and knowing that person? And how can that help me move forward? And just mentally talking it through in your mind. And like you said, not letting yourself get distracted. But you know, we're not living a monastic lifestyle. I'm not saying, and then forever, never look at TV or never look at your phone. Like then I looked at my phone later, like, cause I, <laughs> you know, you can only do that for so long, right. but, it, but so many people never do it at all. Another way is because it's a little more structured is to actually sit down and write it out when you're writing each word takes time to write out. And so you slow your brain down. And I encourage people to ask themselves questions like what's upsetting me right now? Or what's going well right now? Or yeah, what is there not enough room for in my life? Or why am I frustrated today? And then just see what your brain has to say and sit with it. It's, you know, I mean, in some ways it's like playing therapist for yourself, but that's part of having a contemplative, I would say fully rich, fully human experience life is that you do ask yourself questions and wonder about your life and work through feelings and thoughts and problems in a really mindful way. Instead of, think of maybe, I'm trying to think of how to fairly categorize these people, the least mature, maybe super young, 
you know, we all were there. People who life is fun and life's a party. And if you're not feeling good, then you get drunk and then you go out and you go dancing and you have fun and you meet people and you do fun, sexy things. And we want to hopefully at some point grow up and mature. And a lot of that <laughs> oh, wait, is- That's not what we're supposed to be doing? That's <laughs> uh. okay to still do sometimes. <laughs> but if you do, I would like you to do it mindfully and be like, I'm going to go and have a few too many drinks and enjoy myself. Okay, great. But when it's a coping skill for all of your life problems, then obviously, right, it's like, not good. Right. So yeah, asking yourself questions and spending time feeling your feelings, processing your feelings, seeing a therapist, finding a friend who is happy to discuss it with you. Those are all good ways to kind of sit in the feeling. And we know that this isn't over. We've got nice. waves coming. We've got there. It's a very uncertain future. So is there a way to prepare for the grief that we're going to experience? You know, we've talked about how to handle what we're dealing with now, but how do we prepare for what's to come? Is there a way? Sure. I mean, a, a couple things. On one hand, I would talk about resiliency and how to grow in resiliency, but let me first preface that by saying I have a friend who's a therapist, an older fella, and we used to work side by side at the same practice. And one day on the anniversary of the death of one of his children, I went to him and said, you must be so sad. It must be a hard day for you and tried to just give him space to process. And we talked about it. And I said, I just can't imagine. I mean, there's times I think about my boys and I think what it would be like to get the knock at the door or what it would be like. And he said, stop. Why would you practice that if you're not called to it? If life has not brought that to you, why are you practicing now? It's not even, you're not even called to handle it. You're distressing yourself. And I said, oh my gosh, it's just what people do though, right? We imagine the worst case scenario. And he said, it will never prepare you for when it really happens. So it's pointless to dwell on it. And I thought, oh, that's a really great point. So on some, on one hand, I would say, what can we do to prepare? Live in the moment, be as healthy as you can, prepare your schedule the best you can. Don't be ridiculously overly optimistic and be like, I'm just going to count on us taking European vacation in August. I'm, we're going to, I just believe like, you know, don't be silly, be smart and think with your brain, logically think through what this looks like. But I would say don't, if you have a loss that you know is coming, like, you know, one of my therapists had a baby and she knew that she was not going to be able to have her sister in the delivery room, only her husband. And she was so sad about it. Okay. Well that you can think about, but I wouldn't go searching for things like what other bad things could happen. And I wonder if we move forward. And then what if partway through school, they say that kids are going to go to part-time and what if, right? So logistically you might want to think about that, but spending so much time rehearsing trauma and grief that hasn't even been handed to you by life yet is exhausting. When we're talking about resiliency, what we want to do is prepare ourselves to be as strong and healthy as we can for things to come in the future. And so just like my friend who she's a COVID doctor and she's been all over the place seeing patients. And when I talk to her, I, of course, I'm like, what's going on? How does it look? She says, the best you can do is be physically healthy. Keep walking or running don't eat stuff that's going to inflame you like a lot of sugar on your Cheerios. Do, <laughs> <laughs> oops, oops, bad coping skill. But she's like, be as healthy as you can. Get sleep, right? That way, if you get sick, you have a better chance of fighting it off and remaining healthy and not being severely scarred or injured by the virus. In the same way, I would say there's so many things we can do to be mentally healthy, to prepare for difficult times ahead without having to practice in our mind going through the scenario. So journaling. Spending time on self-care activities, which I think include trying to find time alone, even 
if it's five minutes before bed and you just sit alone and say, I'm just going to sit alone with my thoughts for five minutes, walking alone, maybe without music, meditating, doing yoga, having a therapist, just finding ways that you can practice solitude, strengthen yourself, develop some fortitude by being with your thoughts, thinking about the hard things, writing about the challenging things. It will bring you, I believe, being that mindful will help center you. It will bring you peace and bring you back to yourself so that, and I'm finding this myself, I'm six months from 50, which of course I think for many women is like maybe the landmark birthday, like it's the thing, right? Yeah. And there is something beautiful about approaching it. And while I grieve the loss of things like things you think you've already kind of done, but like, I will not have any more children. And I know that, but numbers like 50 will make you go, this is a definitive thing, right? It's or a like, hard no. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a hard no, right? God, I love people who do that. <laughs> so being able to, to let go of those things, I'm also finding because I'm a therapist and I'm a later in life therapist. I became a therapist at 40. The last 10 years, I've spent so much time working with people and helping them do things, but also myself, focusing on being introspective, sitting with my thoughts, talking through my thoughts, figuring out what coping skills I need to deal with the emotions I have in my life. There's something beautiful about the older we get and the more we practice this kind of thing, that it becomes a way of life and it, it becomes woven into the fabric of who you are. And so now when younger girls say to me, especially gals I mentor, maybe business professionally, therapists, and they say like, you're just, you're so calm or you're so steady or you have so much understanding of this. And I say, right, because I practice it. I practice sitting with it. I practice talking through it. I practice writing through it. I practice thinking through it. And so all of the time now I can say, as I am my own guinea pig, spending a decade really working on emotional health changes who you are for the better. It's a really beautiful thing. So yeah, looking forward to the things that we might lose, I'd say don't overly indulge in the imagination of grief and trauma. Be smart, but also do what you can do, which is create greater resistance in yourself. That is fantastic. Now, well, I wish I didn't have to let you go because <laughs> I could just keep talking. You have a Facebook group that, can you tell us about that? And is, is that something that any of our listeners can join or how yes, does that work? absolutely. Oh my gosh, Paula. Yes. And I'd love to have you come join us sometime. I think I'm going it is, to. You yes. Oh my gosh. It, it really up. is an amazing group of women. So I have a group on Facebook and a page called Manage Your Shift. I was going to start a podcast. I had one previously. I was going to start one again in March. And then instead I took on 20 new couples counseling clients and that kind of took over all during the <laughs> pandemic. So I was a little busy, but Manage Your Shift is this podcast that I will be starting soon where we're going to be talking about how do you shift your thinking on grief, finances, relationships, your physical body, all sorts of things. Because that's what life is about is how do you emotionally handle this really difficult world? It's hard to live in. And so I have a manager shift page on Facebook. But if you look for the manager shift group, then you can join it. You just request it and I'll let you in. And then every day at 8.30 in the morning, Eastern time, we meet for 30 minutes and we walk through journal prompts and we meditate for five minutes and we talk about setting an intention for the day and how we want to be in our space. We look at our calendars and we look at our day. We plan time for self-care or rest or reflection. We do all sorts of really cool things for your brain like 
write a great memory from the day before because we're trying to create neural connections to have positive memory association. We work on breathing skills. We do affirmations. We reach out to friends and write quick notes to people because it's good for them and it's good for us. We track our mood. So in 30 minutes each day, Monday through Friday, we get a lot of cool stuff done. But if you join the manager shift group, you can learn more about that. That's terrific. And we've got a link to that. So I'll make sure that on our landing page for this podcast. Awesome. Yeah. We'd love to see more gals. It really is a really cool sisterhood of women and it's on Zoom, but you can also catch it on Facebook. Sounds like a great way to start the day. Yeah, I think so. Terrific. Erin, thank you so much for talking with us today. We we covered a, a lot of ground. I'd love to talk again. Yeah. Hey, anytime. Happy to help. Thanks so much, Paula. Thank you. That was Erin Wiley talking about how we can manage grief and loss to better cope during the pandemic. If you'd like to learn more about Erin or join her daily Manage Your Shift private group, just visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. And a reminder to bring a little bit of happiness to your workday every day with the Live Happy Daily Happiness Briefing. Visit our website for a link to enable this as a skill, then start your morning by saying, Alexa, give me my Live Happy Daily Happiness Briefing. That's all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one. Mm -hmm.